but for investors who are overseeing the assets of our family, whose job is to be a good steward of the capital that we have, you can't just put blinders on and ignore these. This is a very significant data point that, again, hasn't happened in over 10 years. By now, I'm sure you have all heard of the collapse of this very significant Silicon Valley bank. And I wanted to bring you a financial expert who is associated with LifeSite because he can bring out not only the financial reality, what does this even mean for us, but also tie it in to these virtual reality of what we're facing right now. Uh, I'm talking about Drew Mason, of course. Who is the who runs St. Joseph's Partners, who LifeSite has partnered with, in order to be able you to have you attain precious metals from a company that is both trustworthy and one that's truly faithful. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Hello, LifeSite friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Each round is stamped on the back with an image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, we feature LifeSite's logo, surrounded by brilliant sunbursts and draped with olive branches, and each round commemorates LifeSite's 25 years of pro-life, pro-family reporting in America, Canada, and beyond. These one troy ounce rounds are 0.999 pure silver, and LifeSite has just under 10,000 in stock. They're beautiful, historic, and forever enshrining the most important American pro-life victory of a generation. This first edition LifeSite Silver Round is the perfect gift for yourself or anyone you love that collects precious metals and is passionately pro-life. And each purchase helps directly fund LifeSite's pro-life and pro-family mission. This is the first precious metals collectible of its kind that is directly supporting LifeSite's worldwide mission that you know, love, and trust. And now it can be yours while limited supplies last. Get your one troy ounce rounds of 99% pure silver today by clicking the first link below and celebrate life with all of us at LifeSite News. Drew, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me, John Henry. Praise be Jesus. Amen to that. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Drew, please tell us about what happened on Friday. Um, and I know perhaps over the weekend some people missed it, but it's a very significant event. Please tell us what happened. Thank you, John Henry. So, about a month ago, we had some clients described to us issues they were having with getting cash out of the bank. News media did report certain branches of some of America's largest banks did have that experience, but it was perceived to be very contained just if you needed the physical cash. This week, we actually had clients who have um, connections with Silicon Valley Bank Corp and also colleagues who have relationships there and they began to tell us, we heard multiple stories of people who were trying to get their money out and were not able to get 100% of it out. Now, Silicon Valley Bank Corp is primarily an institutional bank, meaning its deposits are primarily commercial, not 
consumer deposits, not individual deposits, but these were individuals who were um, unable to get their money out. That was as of Thursday. On Friday, the bank was closed and the FDIC Mm -hmm. has stepped in saying that they are going to now be taking over because of the inability of the bank to um, meet all of its obligations. Now, the press is saying that this is very contained, that it is uh, it was only because of specific mistakes that this particular bank made and in how they handled it and in some specific circumstances as to their marks to market that other banks don't have to uh, replicate. And, you know, John Henry, we hope that that is the case, that this is not going to spread any further, that it is entirely contained to this one bank and that everything will be okay. But to us, it's very significant because in the past, as some viewers may know, we had experience with Lehman Brothers. And when Bear Stearns had problems in the spring of 2008, we were told it was ring fence and the specific to that subprime real estate was the only part of the real estate sector that was going to be hurt. And for those of us who had exposure to the financial system and built their entire plans and portfolios on the hope that everything would be okay, it was brutally painful. Hmm. So our thought is, having gone through that, no one wants to experience that. And no one should have a portfolio built just on hope, especially when we have so much data that suggests how important it is at a time like this to prepare for something that could be problematic, market stress, especially given the tremendous debts that are rolling around in America, uh, as well as globally, when you look at all the world's uh, major currency issues, issuers are severely challenged to meet their their debt obligations in, in the best case scenario. Right. Now, they were challenged prior to the whole, whole COVID thing, but then with COVID, that debt was increased very, very much, was it not? Dramatically so. So the debt was a concern in 2009 when Ben Bernanke and the Fed first began printing what they said was going to be very temporary. They promised quantitative easing, a fancy word for money printing, where they didn't have to back it by anything. And they told us back in 09, we're going to quickly um, uh, retract this money that we've put into the system, um, and we're going to right-size our balance sheet. But what history tells us is, once the central bank starts doing this, they can never stop. Because if they take the money out, it's like like something that the markets are addicted to. And they, they know. That's why they haven't taken it out. It's not like they forgot their promise uh, back to 09. They just have continually chosen not to do it in any meaningful way. Then, as you're pointing out, John Henry, not only was that concern building, but when COVID came out, we printed an incredible amount of money um, that, again, is backed by nothing, increasing our debts. And I want to say, John Henry, the money supply that we issued If you look at the chart, it almost literally looks like a hockey stick where the money supply explodes higher. And I want to say it increased by well well over 30%, a ridiculous number um, for a a government to allow to happen. That that is what did happen. And so to your point, um, these debts become even more problematic, heightening even to a greater degree the importance of having uh, an allocation to a portion of one's wealth and something that thrives when debt crises metastasize. Okay. So you've got this indicator now with the crash of this bank. You had some a few little early signs, perhaps. 
but this was big. But have you seen any other signs? Are there any other banks doing something or any other signs that this is something more that we should be paying attention to than just the normal run of the mill? There certainly are other data points that are very concerning, John Henry, that we think people want to be aware of and not brush these under the rug, but think about what is this really telling me? This year, we've had data points showing that the housing sector broken up across the different um, verticals, meaning industrial, commercial, retail, and the darling of Wall Street, which they call multifamily or apartment housing, has mm -hmm. begun to turn down. And the significance of this is that if you go back and look at the data, particularly in the apartment setting, has not had a downturn since we came out of the 2008 crisis. This is the first downturn it's seen. And mm. the, uh, the, the trajectory of it is even faster than what we saw going into the 08 crisis. So again, it doesn't mean it has to continue, but for investors who are overseeing the assets of our family, whose job is to be a good steward of the capital that we have, you can't just put blinders on and ignore these. This is a very significant data point that, again, hasn't happened in over 10 years. Additionally, we just saw the data from the auto loan sector, which is a very important barometer of the health of the American consumer. And auto loan delinquencies were north of 6%. The peak in 2009 was 5%. So we're already at a delinquency rate that we hadn't seen at the worst part of the crisis, the financial crisis. And additionally, realize unemployment now is about a third of what it was at that time. So again, we hope it's peaking right there, that things are gonna get better in terms of the debt problems, in terms of consumer delinquencies and the problems individuals are having with their debt burdens. But we wanna encourage people not to just base their plans, their whole portfolio on hope. And then we had something that we thought was pretty notable, John Henry, because <clears throat> I think the viewers appreciate the mouthpieces that come from the nation's largest financial institutions are very measured and they're uh, well scripted so as not to create major concern. One of the country's largest investment banks and investment houses came out in print and told their clients that they are perceiving a 25% downturn in the equity markets, the stock market, within a few months. Now, they may not be right. Again, it may be okay. However, if they're putting that in print, Chances are they're probably thinking it's even uh, potentially worse than that. So we hope they're wrong. But again, we want to be aware of all these data points that are going off, which are consistent with history. See, history has this unbroken track record. There comes a tipping point where when debts become too great, wealth begins to transfer to the metals, and investors want to have that allocation before that, that really accelerates. And so those are some of the things we're looking at, John Henry. There's a lot of others we could touch on, but if you let those sink in, those are, those are pretty significant um, points in our opinion. Indeed. What does, I, I, and I know you're, you just have to make a guess, but what does rollout time on this look like to you? It's one bank has fallen, a, a pretty big bank. Could that sort of lead to a domino effect or likely not or what, what's that, if you can un unpack that for us? Well, there's a lot of reasons to think that it will not spread. 
And then again, this bank was very differentiated from most banks that people whose name most people know in that it was predominantly commercial. They had to mark to market their portfolio in a way <clears throat> that banks that are more consumer oriented will not. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to hope that it won't happen. However, again, having made that mistake of just basing things on hope, thinking about the best outcome, I think, John Henry, that it is unconscionable for anyone who is a steward of capital, whether it's of your own family or if you're a financial advisor guiding the lives of so many people who are dependent on your advice, I think it's unconscionable and it will be seen as having been negligent to have not taken some precautions in case these things matter. Mm -hmm. It's not that they sell everything and just buy the metals, not at all. But we would say to have no metal exposure, which is what is the case for most Americans today. Estimates are less than 1% of Americans have begun to prepare for an uncorrelated, um, or I should say, excuse me, for a market transition here that will benefit gold as an uncorrelated asset, less than 1%. Hmm. So we think that people will be remorseful at having known after this plays out that it was so easy to diversify just a portion of one's wealth in the metals that we hope we're wrong, we don't need it. And let's just take a step back. If an investor puts in 10 to 20% of their wealth into gold, which is what we think history has clearly uh, shown <clears throat> is an appropriate amount to offset market corrections. So let's say they put in that type of allocation. John Henry, you really, an investor really still wants to hope that they lose money on their gold. Why would I say that? Because the gold is the hedge to your portfolio. It's the smaller portion, but it's like the rainy day policy that if there is a problem, you're not left out with nothing to, to, protect, your, to protect yourself with. It's the portion that thrives. So we hope we're wrong. History suggests that it is critical for people to have this allocation in light of, of what we're seeing going on in the various debt metrics. And so that's why we just wanna to say to families, even pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, as we know there are so many believers watching this, and do a little research on your own. Look into history. Ask yourself, why is it that every time there's been a debt crisis, gold and silver have worked in protecting families and protecting wealth? And then if you come to a conclusion that it makes sense, don't, don't um, procrastinate. Get yourself ready. Be in place. And we think you'll be very happy down the road. Indeed. It, just so that our viewers know, I mean, yes, I mean, we're going to admit it freely. We're in a partnership uh, with Drew and St. Joseph's Partners, his company. Um, but that's because it was a very providential relationship, how that happened. We were actually looking to get into this to provide our viewers with a company that was reputable. And <laughs> Drew called because he was an advertiser with LifeSite anyway. And that's how we got to talking. So that was to me, it was really providential. And it's not about getting you to invest to profit LifeSite or something like that. It's actually more about getting you to invest to protect yourself. So that's what we're after here. Look at St. Joseph's Partners because they're trustworthy. You know Drew now. And they're also very competitive. So, but that really is a portion of it, sure. But this is actually for you to realize the times that we're in. Because they are concerning. We do have to prepare.
And the neat thing about Drew is that I can talk to him about preparing in another way, which is actually more important. And he will tell you it's more important as well. And that's in order to prepare spiritually for up times of upheaval. We're already in times of upheaval. But it certainly looks like that's going to get more severe before it gets better. And I do believe it's going to get better. I believe firmly, as does Drew, as does anyone really who's been paying attention to Our Lady of Fatima, in the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. That's coming. But I do believe before we get there, there's going to be some difficult times. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. So, Tell us, if you will, Drew, you're very much into uh, fasting, and how is that going to help us prepare for the times that come in a spiritual way? Thank you, John Henry. <clears throat> so there is that common theme to us. Gold is protection for your finances, and fasting brings spiritual protection. It is an overlay for every area of your family. So you don't hear much about fasting anymore. But if you look in scripture, you'll see it's amazing what happened in that we have not found an incident where in scripture, God's people fasted and they weren't rescued. And there's some of the greatest stories that we've come to know, Esther, and how all of the believers at the time, all the Jews were slated for extermination. Mm -hmm. And Esther called on the believers to fast for three days. And at the end of that time, instead of being exterminated, there was justice that was brought, and God's people prospered. You can look at Ezra and um, the challenge he had of getting women and children through a battlefield safely. They were unarmed. Now, they fasted before they went into that uh, danger zone, and every woman and child was protected. And the case that we see of Nineveh, perhaps most like us today, slated for destruction by the Lord, one person started going around in the town, asking the people to repent and to fast. And the Bible tells us God did actually repent from the evil he planned to send to Nineveh, and the city continued um, to prosper. So the stories are amazing. It's like God almost wants people to come to the point where there'll be no confusion as to where this rescue came from. It's absolutely been miraculous. Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, there are numerous examples of how powerful fasting is we see well that is if it's actually still there in the bible do you remember that show i did a little while ago that talked about matthew 17 verse 21 how in a lot of the bibles after 1960s it was actually removed it's actually not there uh it's in the old bibles but a lot of the new ones not all of them, but a lot of them it's just not there. In fact, the most popular ones, it's not there. Um, and it's really something. In other portions of the Bible, they just removed the words about fasting. It revolves around that story where it's really hard for the apostles to exercise this one person. He, he's got demons and they can't do anything with it. And the parent comes to Jesus and says, can you help? Your apostles weren't able to do anything. Jesus casts out the demon 
And uh, the apostles asked him later, hey, what was that? We weren't able to. He said, some only go out with prayer and fasting. Funny enough, some of the verses just say with prayer, as if the apostles before were just going, get out in me, for because I say so. <laughs> Obviously, they were praying. But nonetheless, please continue, Drew. So you're absolutely right, John Henry, about that. And it was such, it was, I would argue, one of Jesus's most important teachings for us to know, right? When evil is powerful and it's confronting us, it's attacking us, how do we protect ourselves? We can't just pray. He's saying, hey, Christians, when evil is its strongest, you pray, you're going to lose every time. You're going to lose every time. You have to include fasting with your prayers when evil is at its strongest if you want to have victory. And obviously, that's what we want to have is, is victory. But the great news is that we do have that power. As powerful as Satan is, he has given us dominion over him. And even in his strongest situations, if we are praying and fasting, we will have victory. And in one of her apparitions, Our Lady made, she made a couple of incredible statements about fasting. One that should be so encouraging to us. She said, we have forgotten that with prayer and fasting, wars can be averted. Natural mm. disasters can be reversed. I mean, that's a wonderful statement reading the headlines today of what we're potentially inching towards is that fasting is that powerful. And another statement to share with everyone that I think is so comforting is she said, if we do novenas of fasting and renunciation, evil will stay far from us. What a thought in this world where how many people are seeing such issues with families, with children, right? In this society today where there's such depression among so many people that if you could keep all that away, because depression is clearly a fingerprint of the devil, as is anger, anxiety, worry. That's, those are all the fingerprints of the devil. If we could keep those away, and the way she says that we exercise that practically, we're obligated, according to the first century Christians, to fast every Wednesday and Friday. It's very easy, though. Bread and water, as much of both as you want. It's just a little sacrifice. The key is to say, Lord, this is just a little sacrifice, but I offer it to you with joy, knowing that we're going to bring about all these great blessings. If you do it with a joyful heart and a grateful heart, that's what matters. And then to go beyond that, though, beyond the obligatory, and have a novena would be doing some fasting at least one other day a week, I want to encourage the viewers. And to have one day a week where you're doing some prayer and renunciation for our sins. and our experiences as an organization is that it is addictive, that you're not going to want to stop this because when you see how blessed it is to just have evil away, to not be gumming up everything you're trying to do, it is a great grace, a great grace from heaven. And, and wrapping up on this, John Henry, I want to make sure viewers are conscious as you're looking at all these headlines from the media that are so negative and so concerning the create angst. Remember, God always protected his people in times of famine and times of trouble. So the difference is scripture shows us he clearly discriminates, right? Let's, let's be aware that God discriminates. He looks at the people who try to be his, who love him. Jesus told us we define loving God by if we obey his commandments. So that we want to get in line with it, get, get our uh, get ourselves aligned, our thinking and our lives aligned with the commandments. 
And then we know we'll have his protection. So don't be concerned. Another great statement our lady made was, you know, be careful. Do not focus on our problems because when we focus on our problems, we've already got begun our path down the road to destruction. What a statement. She said, instead, focus on Jesus, who is the solution to all our problems. So we need to be aware of all these things about the financial issues, about the spiritual issues. We prepare for them, and then we can trust that he's going to take care of us. Absolutely beautiful. Drew, any final thoughts? Final thoughts is an idea, John Henry, we've been discussing that I'll, I'll, I'll let you announce here. But Esther, again, the queen of her people in the Old Testament, was able to uh, intercede by declaring this three-day fast. It's a very difficult fast, she proclaimed, three days without eating or drinking anything. And so we're going to aspire to do that again. I say aspire because having done this a few times in the past, you go into it unsure if you're going to be able to make it. It's a marathon. We say it's like a 72-step mountain one has to climb. 72 steps because there's 72 hours in that fast. And when you stand at the base of it and you look up, you think there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. And the first day in particular, that you're going to find evil really trying to get you to, to quit this because it is so powerful. You'll be thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to be uh, so much weaker, uh, et cetera, later on, so much hungrier. I'll tell you, we generally see the first day as the toughest. Um, but want to encourage the viewers to try this with us, just as Esther did, and to expect miracles and expect specifically in your life, for yourself, for your family, for your local government, for our countries, that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us and give us plans of what little steps we need to take in order to bring about great blessings. Do you want to share with the audience the details, John Henry? So here we are on Monday the 13th. Why don't we try this for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 14, 15, 16th. Now, the Esther fast that Drew is talking about is a real fast. It's that hardcore nothing fast. That's why he was talking about the seven two-hour two challenge up the mountain. Um, the fast that I'm used to is bread and water. That one he talked about earlier when he talked about the fast of bread and water that you know the early church did on Wednesdays and Fridays. The Esther fast is hardcore. I think Drew might try the hardcore one. I think I'm going to do the bread and water one. So join us however you can for that. It comes with blessing and it comes with protection for your family. And that's what this show has been all about. Thanks so much for joining us, Drew. Thank you, Jonathan. And God bless you. God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.